0: Scripture reading this morning is going to be Acts 20, 17 through 19. It's Acts twenty seventeen through 19. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, "You know how, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia... I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Powerful scripture reading and the sweet prayer from our brother Terry. Singing that focuses on Jesus and living for Jesus. A thoughtful prayer by Tim Tannock. Whatever problems we may face, we can be encouraged by one another, but most of all by our great God, and his promises. And then a beautiful meditation for the Lord's Supper by Roger Bauer. As he focused especially on the resurrection of Jesus, we serve a living Savior. And then I look around and I see your faces. Many familiar, known for a long time, love and appreciate. A number of guests, glad to have you today. And I see people like Osvaldo and Laura Valdez coming back after they went on their spring break to Puerto Ranzas with all the college kids, but a week or two later, thank the Lord for that. And while they teach in public schools in New Mexico for a living, Their heart belongs to the Lord. And we've been able to work with them for years, and their heart is really in Argentina, though they serve the Lord here now. Great to have you with us. It's a real blessing. We love you. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 is the only sermon in a book of sermons, Acts. It's the only sermon in a book of sermons, Acts, that is given exclusively to a Christian group of hearers. I think that ought to make its message significant for us as God's people. Don't you? Who we are and what we're all about. Acts 20, verses 17 through 38, listening to Paul preach ought to help us in living on purpose, in living on purpose, having a legacy that will last well beyond the time we leave this earth because of the way one has related to Christ. Now before we look at Acts 20, 17 through 38, open your Bible to Philippians 121. I guess we could call this Paul's mantra. This is his life principle. If he's going to be given a performance review for his life, this sentence in one sentence would summarize what his life was all about. And here it is. Listen. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now let me stop and emphasize different phrases in Philippians one twenty one, Because you see, to Paul, there's no living at all apart from purpose-driven living. There's no living at all apart from purpose-driven living. And to Paul, the only real life is a life that is lived in Christ and that is absorbed with Jesus. Now listen. For to me, it may be different with others, but if you ask me what life is all about, for to me, an inspired apostle speaking, for to me to live, for to me To live is Christ. Not money, not reputation, not stuff. For to me to live is Christ and to die. For to me to live is Christ and even to die. Is gain. Now, Roger, if that doesn't complete what you were talking about in the Lord's Supper meditation, I don't know what would. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. No life leaves its greatest legacy, its best legacy unless it is lived in Christ. No one really lives with the purpose for which we were created, unless one lives in Christ. We were created to glorify God, Isaiah 43, verses 7 through 10. And it is to the praise of His glory that we ought to live every day. Ephesians 1, verses 6 and 12. Now, let's look at Acts 20. Because I think Acts 20, verses 17 through 38, as well as any chapter in the book of Acts, and probably in the New Testament, describes what it means to live on purpose. To live in Christ. And when you think about Paul preaching this sermon, I also want to bring this out. Almost every expression in this sermon you find somewhere in the letters of Paul. It is as if some of the great topics that Paul uh, preached, you know, he brings together in one sermon as he speaks to Christians that he loves dearly. The elders of the church at at Ephesus, they meet him at Miletus. Think about that. Miletus was about 30 miles from Ephesus. They get a message from Paul, Can you come and visit with me? I really need to talk to you. And the trip, though only 30 miles, would have taken almost three days because it's one of those trips where it's not like driving from here to Sweetwater. A straight line. There's a lot of curves. And it's not easy terrain to to work through, to walk through. And yet, these elders, who obviously would have had jobs and lives and families, they drop everything. And you know what Paul does? he shares with them about what it really means to live on purpose. He shares with them what it really means to live a God-centered, God-saturated life. And in that treasure chest that we might call God, Paul looks at three jewels, three jewels of a god Saturated, God centered, on purpose Christian lifestyle. Three jewels in the treasure chest of really having a great relationship with God. Here are the jewels. First jewel, a proven track record. A proven track record. A track record of faithfulness and love. You'll see that in Acts 20, verses 17 through 21. Next, after Acts 17 through 21, you'll see this, an ongoing commitment, an ongoing commitment to growing and to greater likeness. That's going to be verses 22 to 35 of Acts chapter 20. And then finally, you're going to hear Paul talking about a third jewel in the treasure chest of really living on purpose. The relationship with God's family. Three jewels. What are you looking for? If you're talking about a performance review spiritually about whether or not you really can say with Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain... The jewels are a proven track record of love and faithfulness. The second jewel had to do with ongoing commitment to greater growth and godliness, verses 22 through 35. And then precious relationships with other Christians, especially verses 36 through 38 of Acts 20. You'll be glad to know that this sermon is in two parts. But we're going to look at Acts 20, 17 through 24 in this morning study. What happens is this. As Paul talks to these elders, to Christians, the only sermon in the New Testament uh, in the book of Acts, especially exclusively to Christians, What does he say? He talks about a track record. Look at Acts 20, verses 17 and 18. It's interesting that just in verses 17 through 21, he mentions 10 themes that are so, so often, so frequently mentioned in the letters of Paul. Here's the first one, Acts 20, 17 and 18. There's a track record of unity and being a team player. Notice the expression in verse 18. From the first day I was among you, among you. Though he's an apostle and though he has a special mission as the apostle to the Gentiles, Acts 9 15 and 16, you got Paul among people. How like Jesus, who came down from glory, put on humanity, and lived among us, Matthew 1 21 through 25. Jesus prayed for unity. On the night that he would be betrayed, John 17, 20 and 21, that God's people would be one, united in him and his word. Paul elsewhere would say that you speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in having the same mind and judgment. First Corinthians 1:12. There was a track record in Paul's life of unity and being a team player. Often you can think about some of his traveling companions like Luke and Timothy and Barnabas and Silas. Committed to unity and being a team player. Are you? Whether you've been a Christian for a few days, a few months, a few years... Are a number of decades. Do you have a track record of love and faithfulness in your desire for unity and in being a team player? I suspect Brother Lynn and Brother Terry might say of a few, they do not play well with others, they don't really work well with others. That wasn't true of Paul. It ought not be true of us as we live on purpose. Look at verse 19. Not only was there a track record of unity and teamwork, but there was a track record, a track record, if you look at the passage, notice what he says. Serving the Lord, at the beginning of verse 19, there is a track record of discipleship and service. Paul's got a track record of discipleship and, and service. From shortly after the time that the Lord said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? A few days later, he's baptized into Christ. Acts 22 and verse 16 He's following Jesus and he is being persecuted for embracing the faith he had once sought to destroy. Galatians 1.23. Talk about following Jesus, taking up your cross daily and following him. Luke 9.23. He had a track, a track record of service, serving God. The Lord, how like Jesus to serve! I am among you as He who serves, Luke 22:24 through27. It was Jesus shortly before he would go to the cross who washed the disciples' feet, John 13:1 through17, an example of service, though God in the flesh he is. Think about that. Do I have a track record, personally, of life on purpose, of a legacy that will last far beyond when we take our final breath? And do I have a legacy of discipleship, wanting to follow Jesus closely and service? Or has it been primarily about serving myself? Third, look again at Acts 20 and verse 19. Serving the Lord, the text says, with all humility. God's Word says here this. There's a track record of humility and meekness. He had to have his own passions under control, meekness, Numbers 12, 3, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. He had to do this if he was going to serve the Lord with all humility. He was clothed with humility, 1 Peter 5, 5. He'd humbled himself in the sight of the Lord who lifted him up. James 4, 6, James 4, verse 10. A track record. Let me ask you, how's your track record? Whether it's a few days or months or years as a Christian, do you have a track record of loving faithfulness that exhibits meekness and humility? Is it about God and others more than your pride and ego? Is it about having your passions under control? Everything from your mouth to your temper to your thoughts? Because sometimes, on the spur of the moment, we may forget the very purpose for which we're here. Look again, verse 19. He had a track record of compassion and care with tears. With tears. The Lord cared for people. He was compassionate. He was moved with compassion, Matthew 9, verse 36. He felt for people in the innermost part of his being, Matthew 14, 14. And Paul has this track record, too, of really caring and being concerned about others. It's Paul who writes that we ought to weep with those that weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Romans 12 and verse 15. Isn't that right? And in a book of joy, Paul refers to tears in the book of Philippians when he speaks of false teachers And he says, I tell you, even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Philippians 3 18 and 19. I know Paul must have been a man of great compassion and care because he so loved Jesus, because he so loved the gospel, and because he so cared about people's souls. With tears. Number five. We're working our way quickly through this. Notice the passage says. With all trials and plots of the Jews. Here we see this part of Paul's track record. And one we should share. With all patience and perseverance. Perseverance. He sought to live his life with patience and perseverance. Diane Powell, sweet sister, I couldn't help but think of your your, your father-in-law, Harold Harris. And how many times he would walk up to this pulpit and lead prayer years ago. And he was in his 90s before he passed away. And there was such a sweetness and kindness and patience in that man. And I asked him, I said, Brother Harris, how did, you, how did you get such a heart? And he smiled and he said, Mike, you know, it's really been a struggle for me because I haven't been a very patient person most of my life. And I have struggled to stick with staying close to Jesus. I'd have never thought it but I could understand what he was saying. You know, because if it weren't for circumstances and if it weren't for people, I'd have no problems with patience and perseverance. How about you? That's why we can all relate to what our brother Harold Harris said. Trials. Plots of the Jews. Circumstances and people number six now we move on to verse 20 no wonder why the Bible says you have need of patience Luke 21 19 no wonder why the Bible says you have need of patience Hebrews 10 36 in your patience possess you your souls Luke 21 19 follow after patience 1 Timothy 6 and verse 11 run with patience the race set before you Hebrews 12 1 and 2 and how God's word ought to be declared, proclaimed with all long-suffering, all patience and instruction. 2 Timothy 4.2. Aren't you glad that God is patient with us? Amen. Amen. Let's learn from God how to be more patient with circumstances and with others. As we trust the Lord. Acts 20, verse 20. It begins with a phrase like this I did not shrink. A proven track record is one that's bold and courageous. Bold and courageous as it concerns things of eternal value. I was not timid. I was not cowardly. I didn't hold back. Not one bit, he says. Nor should we. Sometimes we can change that and we'll say something like this by the way we live. I didn't hold back. I gave them a piece of my mind. But what he says was, I didn't hold back from declaring anything that was profitable. Every scripture is given by God and is. Profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete and thoroughly furnished to every good work. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. Sometimes we're bold and courageous about the things we ought not be, and we like boldness and courageous thinking where we ought to be bold about Jesus. About salvation, about how people should treat one another, about God's Word. That brings me to the next part of Acts 20 and verse 20. He did not shrink from declaring anything that was profitable. Profitable. There's a track record of healthy and benevolent instruction. You know, whether one's been a Christian for a little while or for many years, I stop and think and it won't be long until I have been a Christian for 50 years. And I remember even now the moment that I responded and put on my Lord in baptism. The years have gone by quickly. A track record of healthy and beneficial instruction. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. First Samuel three, nine through eleven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him, Matthew three, thirteen. Through 17. That's what God said of Jesus. Whether you've been a Christian for a short time or a long time, are you interested, vitally so, in healthy and beneficial teaching? Hold to the pattern of healthy teaching, Paul would write. Sound words which you've seen in me, which you've heard in me, rather. In faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.13. You know what? Some teaching we should not believe because it is unhealthy and it is not beneficial. False teaching. And in our own brotherhood... Yes, within churches of Christ there are extremes that either play fast and loose with Scripture or far too rigidly with Scripture and both need to hear that that is neither healthy or beneficial to the family of God. And as a person that's been at this for a while, I have seen the untold damage and the devastated churches and the lost souls of guys who were too full of themselves and not full enough of Jesus. Are we into what is healthy and beneficial as far as God is concerned? Next, look again. His track record was one that was both public and private. Taught you publicly and private. From house to house. And I love this when I think about Paul. And when I think about so many of you. You've, you've got, you're the same person in private that you are in public. You're real. You're genuine. You want to serve the Lord. You love Him. And that's how you are at work. That's how you are at home. I wonder how many preachers through the years would have their family say He's a different person at home than He is in the pulpit. And then say, He's even better. He's even better. Don't you think that preacher's family would be blessed if a lot of us as preachers were better men at home than we were in the pulpit? How about us that you were even far better in private at home with those who knew you best than in the public eye, in the assembly. Oh, for years he had worked with the church at Ephesus for some three years, and they got to know him. But on a daily basis, a consistent basis, he was a man of character, whether he was in the public eye or just going along from house to house teaching. And he taught the same consistent message and lived the same purpose driven life, life on purpose. Now, notice again, verses 20 and 21. testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. He's got a track record of seriousness. Mark that word testifying. That really has the idea of the courtroom. Testifying. You've got seriousness and you've got inclusiveness both to Jews and to Greeks. Now, you think about Paul's background as a Jew and as a Pharisee And he is the very one that God uses to help bring Gentiles to the Lord. Oh, the riches of God's ways. He is serious and he is inclusive. You know, we were singing an old song by Brother Tedley just before I got up to preach. Into our hands the gospel is given. Given to Jews and Gentiles. Given to everybody. Given to younger and older. And that cultural background or race really is secondary. Being in the Lord is what counts. Serious and inclusive. Look again from verse 21. It says that Paul's track record was to be God centered, God centered and faith building. Everywhere he went, he testified to Jews and Gentiles of repentance to God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was God centered and faith building. What a track record. And even if you've been a Christian for a short time, you know, it's wonderful to be able to look at one's life and see. I've loved the Lord. I've not been perfect. But I really wanted to be God-centered in every aspect of my life, focused on Him and His will. And I want to build up people's faith, my families, my children's, my grandkids, my friends, my neighbors. Now notice 22 through 24 quickly. In Acts 20, he's been talking about his track record up to now. This is basically how he's lived his life. And it makes us ask some questions of ourselves and take inventory. Now he talks about beginning in verse 22 and going through 35. But I'll only look at 22 through 24 with you. His ongoing commitment to growth and to godliness. Look at verse 22 of Acts 20. There's an ongoing commitment to the will of God. There's an ongoing commitment, he says, in my life to the will of God. I don't know everything that's going to await me. I know this, that the Holy Spirit says imprisonment and affliction are ahead. You know, when you think about the will of God, think about the revealed will of God. Where God has spoken, that's where His people need to be speaking. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. But you know, there's something that we all have to deal with in our lives. And that's the fact that in particular life circumstances, we don't know what the will of the Lord is. A person goes to the doctor and they hear the word cancer. They may not know exactly how things are going to turn out. When it comes to the revealed will of the Lord, we must stand on the truth of Scripture. But when it comes to the unrevealed will of God and what we don't know, we must stand on trusting the Lord who gave us Scripture. He's worthy of our trust. Jesus knew what was ahead in the garden. But still, his prayer ought to be what ours always is. Your will be done. And we have an ongoing commitment to the will of God. Secondly, look at this passage in verse 23. He has an ongoing commitment to be godly in facing trial and difficulty if any man suffers as a christian let him not be ashamed let him glorify god in this behalf first peter 4:16 in this world you have tribulation john 16:33 how we face it says so much about our ongoing commitment to growth, and to godliness in Jesus. And at the end of his life, Paul could write, I have finished the course, I've fought a good fight, I've kept the faith, 2 Timothy 4. Now notice the next verse, verse 24. There was an ongoing commitment, brothers and sisters, friends, to finishing well notice the pictures the imagery of acts 20:24 20, i don't count my life he says of any special value it's not that he has a death wish he's just looking at himself i've got this treasure of the gospel in this earthen jar is basically what he's saying here and as an accountant i don't count my life to be of any particular great value he says that I may finish the course, Paul the runner, from the accountant to the runner. And then he goes on to speak about a ministry. He's a servant who has a ministry. He performs service to the glory and honor of his Lord and then he's a herald he testifies of the gospel of the grace of god you've been patient let me wrap things up for this time he testifies of the gospel Of the grace of God. Think about that expression. The good news, the gospel, of the unmerited favor at Christ's expense when anger and death were owed us. The gospel of the grace of God. Paul is just reflecting Jesus. But he has this ongoing commitment to the proclamation of the great news of the unmerited favor when we didn't deserve it of God to us in Christ. The gospel of the grace of God. I know this. It would be my prayer that every single soul present here today would have a track record that at least is like that that we're studying in Acts 20. And it's my prayer that every heart, every soul present today would have a commitment to the will of God and a commitment to suffer if necessary, but to do so in a God-honoring way and have a commitment... To finish well. How many Christians have we known through the years that came to the Lord, that put Him on in baptism, and they were so happy, only to have fallen away and not finished well? A life lived on purpose. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, is a life that appreciates the two jewels that I was talking about with you this morning in the treasure chest of relating to God. We will have a track record, whether a long or short one, of loving God and trusting Him and wanting to be faithful to Him and we'll have an ongoing commitment to greater growth and godliness. If you're not a Christian, through faith, repentance, and baptism, come to Jesus, please, and respond to His grace. You'll be so glad you did. The angels of heaven will be will be glad that you did. But most of all, God Himself will be glad that you did. And if you are a Christian... And some of the things that Paul said, because my, this wasn't Mike's sermon. This was Paul's sermon. Mike just plagiarized it. I cheated my eyes out. That was his sermon, wasn't it? All right, well, if Paul's sermon stung, maybe you need to make things right with Paul's Lord and your Lord too. There's a lot to think about in Acts 20, verses 17 through 38, but most of all, think about how great and awesome God is who partners with you and me in the accomplishment of His will. Let us stand and sing.